Would you open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5? We are week 12 in our Galatians series. Uh, Week 12, for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm in your freedom, church, and do not submit again to another yoke of legalism, checking boxes, works righteousness, slavery. Stand firm in freedom. And so uh, we are in uh, 16 to 26 today, and uh, the message title, Walk by the Spirit. There's a few exhortation languages that Paul will use in our passage today. Walk by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Live by the Spirit will be the exhortation for us this morning. And it, it goes along with some juxtaposing. That's a fancy word, right? Juxtapose. Uh, that Paul is really consistently using these words and phrases and things for us to understand in freedom in Christ, uh, that when we're juxtaposing two things, we're not bringing them together. And a lot of juxtaposing in the first four chapters was grace, the grace of Jesus, or the Mosaic law. And we're juxtaposing those because we want, to be, we want those to be contrasted with one another and we don't want to see those as the same thing. We're not mixing those together. Uh, freedom in Christ uh, or being enslaved to the law uh, has been a theme in the series. Today is the spirit living by the spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of grace or living by our flesh. That's the juxtaposing that will happen Uh, in our text today. I want to show the first verse uh, of our passage before we read it. Um, Paul says in verse 16, we're we're picking up where we left off from two weeks ago. Verse 16, so I say, here's the exhortation, the encouragement, the exhortation to the churches in Galatia and to us this morning, walk or live by the Spirit. And if you do that, if you live by By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of grace and freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you live by the Spirit, here's the promise. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by, live by the Spirit of grace and freedom and you will not give in to the desires of your own flesh. Walking by the Spirit, juxtaposing, walking by the Spirit is contrary to walking or living by the flesh. Again, for Paul, it's an either-or situation. It's not a both-and, it's an either-or situation for us. I was thinking about uh, the conversation, the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Uh, It's John chapter three. And the conversation with Nicodemus in that chapter is Jesus helping Nicodemus, the Pharisee of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, understand what it means to be born again, to be born again by the Spirit, to be born again by the Spirit. And this is what he tells Nicodemus, John 3, 6. Flesh, and the Greek word there is sarx, S-A-R-X. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so a person needs to be born again of the spirit so that we can live by the spirit of Christ in us. Um, 
Here's the way I would maybe try to help us understand this. The Spirit, living by the Spirit, walking by the Holy Spirit, is this is what God is leading us in. This is what God wants for us. This is God's best for us. To be filled of the Spirit and to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit is to understand and have our minds renewed. This is God's best for me. This is what God wants for me. I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm filled of the Spirit. This is God's best for me. And this is his leadership in our lives. The flesh, here's what the flesh says. Not what God wants for me, but what I want for me. So that's the difference. What is the, the spirit is what God is leading me and what God wants for me. God's best for me. My flesh says, what do I want for me? The spirit, living by the spirit is a grace empowered, a grace enabled life transformation, being spiritually formed unto Christ. That is the way of being filled of the spirit. The flesh the flesh leads me to my selfish pride. I want it my way and I will have it my way. The spirit is a Jesus-centered, living by the spirit, a Jesus-centered, others-centered way of life. And what it does is it, it grows humility in us and gratitude in us. It transforms us in joy and peace and hope and all, all of the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. But a flesh-centered life is a me, it's a me-centered, Jason-centered life. And pride, pride grows in that way of thinking. And as that pride grows in that fleshly way of thinking for me, here's also what grows in me, blaming other people and complaining and defending. We're juxtaposing a life being led by the Spirit and a life being led by my own flesh. That is, that is the passage of the morning that we're looking at. And Paul will call us passionately as followers of Jesus to live a Spirit-filled and empowered life, not a flesh-filled life. In fact, the exhortation to the church, to the Jesus people is this, that we need to understand that there is a reality in our life that we need to crucify our flesh and its desires and its desires because it is not leading us in the way of Jesus. It is leading us in the way of our flesh, which is not the way of Christ. Um, I'm, not really I'm, I'm not really watching the Olympics. I don't, I've talked to a few people about this over the last few weeks. I've just, I don't know if you guys, I mean, the Olympics just feel a little different this year. I mean, 15 hours ahead, there's nobody in the stands. I'm just like, in years past, we would like get together and watch the Olympics. It just feels different for me. But I'm following along on ESPN, of course, and I see some posts on Instagram and those kind of things. And there was this quote that I saw of a uh, track athlete. Her name is Sydney McLaughlin. And she, this past week or two days ago, she set the world record. I believe it was in the 400 meter hurdles. And this, this is a quote from her. And I, I wanna use it as an example of someone who is living filled by the spirit. I want you to hear her words. She says, and she just set the world, she has an Olympic gold medal, set a world record. And this is her quote after the race. She said, records come and go. And the glory, but the glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition. 
but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Isn't that amazing? That, that is a spirit-filled life. And she has severed being gratified by the flesh. How do we know that? Her statement is, I no longer run for self-recognition. I used to run for self-recognition, but I no longer run for self-recognition. I run to the glory of God. Um, I wanna remind you, before we read our passage two weeks ago, when we started uh, Galatians 5, uh, we want to understand contextually how the book is set up. And so this is a 30,000-foot contextual understanding of the whole book of Galatians. It's six chapters. For four chapters, Paul is building a case and laying a theological foundation for us to understand what freedom in Christ actually is and what it means for us. Severing our relationship with the old covenant law and having a, a foundation, a theological understanding of freedom in Christ. And then in chapters five and six is the transition. And so the last two chapters, here's what Paul is teaching us. Here's what practical freedom in Christ looks like in our life. We, we're standing on a theological foundation of grace and freedom. And now as we live that out, what does it look like to live full of the spirit of grace in our, what does it look like to stand firm in freedom? What does that actually mean for our lives? And that's what chapter uh, five and six is. Um, the first passage from Galatians six, Paul applies grace and freedom to our lives. The same thing happens in our passage today. Paul will apply the foundation of freedom to the issue of what does it mean for the people of God, followers of Jesus, to fight off our flesh as new covenant believers and followers in Christ. And the antidote, the antidote to indulging our flesh, Paul said this in uh, uh, verse 13, chapter five, that you are free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Instead, use your freedom in Christ to love and serve and honor God and people. That's what freedom, you've been freed to do that. You've been freed and released from ourselves to be others-centered, to the glory of God and to the good of people. The antidote, Paul says today, to indulging our flesh is not obeying and following the old covenant law. That's not the antidote to fighting off our flesh. The antidote to fighting off our flesh is living by the Spirit, being full of the Spirit of Christ. Trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit in us to lead us, guide us, transform us. And so that is, that's the setup for the passage. So let's, let's read this together, Galatians 5, uh, 16 to 26. Let me just say this. Uh, this is gonna get a little spicy at the end of the passage because Paul will give some ideas. It's like, this is what like living by the flesh actually looks like in real life. And so he's gonna call some things out of what he has seen and heard of the churches in Galatia. So it might step on your toes a little bit. So I'm just saying, I'm just gonna read the Bible. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read the Bible. We're gonna read this passage and we're gonna allow the, the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to lead us, guide us, correct us, rebuke us, and train us for righteousness. Amen? So here's the passage. But I say... Walk or live 
by the Spirit, and you will not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desire, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, they are contrary to one another, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do or your flesh tells you you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, so it's walk by the Spirit, and now he's like, be led by the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We're not fighting off of our flesh by following the rules of the law. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger or fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, what Paul's saying here is like, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? He gives the list, but it's not an exhaustive list of things that happen that show up in our lives when we're living by the flesh. He says, and things like these. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things or those who live by these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit Juxtaposing life in the flesh, life in the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no Law. In other words, you can't go earn these, you can't go get these by following rules. These happen, these are, these are the realities of fruit in our life as we live by the Spirit. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, if we are filled with the Spirit, if we, if we are led by the Spirit, and now if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Let us not become prideful people. Let us not become prideful, selfish, me-centered people, provoking one another and envying one another. This is the word of God for us this morning. One of the reasons why I love and prefer teaching through books is that you, you don't avoid passages of scripture. They go, ooh, maybe we'll just skip over that one on that Sunday. It's like, well, let's, let's engage and receive the whole counsel of God for our own benefit and our own transformation. I think this passage is really important for us to consider. And let me just say this, like I... I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching this morning. Uh, I, am, I am considering things of the scripture this morning. I will tell you that this week of preparation has been especially difficult 
for me in preparing this message. Um, the enemy has been, um, it's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. And this is a hard passage to consider things. And the enemy has uh, been in my mind and heart. And so I'm standing up here today because I believe in the grace and freedom of Jesus. I'm standing up here today because I believe that it is uh, the receiving of the righteousness of Christ by faith that I am justified before God. I'm not standing up here today because uh, I have no vices and all, all the fruit of the Spirit are just so easily manifest in my life. So I just wanna say out loud to you, I just, I'm, the Lord is having a conversation with me. He is helping me battle my own flesh and battle the lies of the enemy. And so I just wanna say that out loud in humility and to go, let's just have a conversation together as we consider uh, this passage this morning. Um, here's the context for the churches in Galatia that originally received this letter. And I think it's context for us today as well. In the absence of a moral code of law, speaking specifically of the old covenant Mosaic law, in the absence of that, we're not under the governance of that law as new covenant believers in Christ. But in the absence of a moral code of law, how should a Christian understand morality and ethics and the values of the kingdom of heaven? How should we understand that without this moral code of law? Maybe another way to ask the question or consider the context is this. If there isn't some type of fence around people, won't they go live like hell and not heaven? Like if there's not like a, a really clear boundary and fence around people, they're not gonna go live like heaven in their freedom. They're gonna go live like hell in their freedom and we gotta put a fence around them. Another way to ask a question. Another way to ask a question. If you don't give people rules to follow, how will they ever grow and change and be transformed and be spiritually formed unto Christ, right? Question to consider in our passage, I think, today. Here's what I see Paul teaching. Paul is teaching not that we don't have moral guidance and ethics and kingdom values to know and to follow and live by. That's not what he's teaching. He is teaching that the means, the means of that has changed. Here's what I mean by that. When the spirit comes into our life, it's not to put a fence around us, it's to empower us to a life of godliness as we follow the spirit of Christ. I would say it to you this way, Jesus, we, we've talked about a verse, Romans 10, four, a number of times in the first four chapters of Galatians as we're laying the theological foundation for freedom. And we said from Romans 10, four, Jesus is the fulfillment and the end of the law governing over God's people. Christ, uh, Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of merit and he is righteousness for all who believe. And so as Jesus is the fulfillment and the end of the law, the Holy Spirit of Jesus is the fulfillment of the law as God's instrument to his people for our guidance and our direction. We have the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, transforming us in the way of Christ. And the spirit of grace, the spirit of Jesus in us as believers doesn't lead us back to the law. 
The spirit of grace leads us to understand freedom. And the spirit doesn't lead us to gratify our flesh. The spirit leads us to love and honor and serve God and people because that is where abundant life is actually tasted and experienced. Um, Galatians 3.13, freedom is not indulging our flesh. Galatians 5.24, freedom is actually crucifying our flesh with its passions and its desires. That's freedom. That's growing. That's being transformed. And we think about flesh. I, I mentioned this before. The word, uh, the word is, let me pull this. Sorry, I'm a little behind here. Flesh. Again, the Greek word is sarks. And the literal translation of the, of the Greek word sarks is flesh, body, human nature. Right? It's our human nature, our flesh. And that word is used 26 times in the New Testament. Um, there is a, a word that, that we use in our English language that's taken from the word sarks in the Greek. Does anybody care to share what word that is? Sarcasm. So we get the word sarcasm from the word sarks in the Greek language. So we think about, let's just split sarcasm in two. Sark, flesh, sarks, right? Flesh, chasm, chasm, the ripping sarcasm, the ripping of flesh. So we use this language in premarital counseling, but I think it's, it's relevant to every human relationship that any of us are, are in. Um, be careful with your sarcasm. Be careful with your sarcasm. I would even say this, ask the Lord to help you root it out of your life completely and totally. Here's what we help young uh, couples who are preparing to get married. To get married, We call them to, the, to what Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and, and the Father have written to us in Genesis 2, which is uh, that, the, that the husband and the wife will leave their mothers and fathers and cleave to their spouse, and the two will become, tell me, one, one what? One flesh. So think about this, a one flesh married relationship that has a lot of sarcasm in it is a ripping away of the one flesh relationship that God has invited us to. Listen, I had to apologize to my wife this week for saying something stupidly sarcastic. That's part of why the enemy's been messing with me to just own that and go to Lindsay and say, I am sorry, I am so sorry. I, I hate sarcasm. And when it shows up in my own life, I wanna root it out of my life. Here's the reality of what Paul tells me. The Holy Spirit, the, author, the authoritative word of God is telling me this week, we're having a conversation. It's in verse 17 and it's this, we, I, I am in a conflict. I'm in a battle with my flesh. And if I get triggered in some right way, I am so liable to just spew something sarcastic in my relationship. And it happened this week. And I confess, I confess it to you. Like, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm just, the Lord's working in my life. I'm just I just want that rooted out of me. 
We are in a conflict with our flesh. Battling our flesh is simply that, a battle. It's a war. Would you agree? Would you agree, like, in your journey, like, I, you, there's just this battle in, against our flesh. It's like, oh, my gosh, where did that selfishness just root itself up in me, that defense, that blaming, that complaining, that it just, we're in a battle. And I know, I know that my flesh can rear its ugly head at any time. And I need, I need to understand more fully what it means to walk, live, be full of the spirit of Jesus in my life. Because I don't wanna be reactive. And I know that I'm prone to be reactive. Um, And I know exactly, I know exactly what my flesh is capable of, don't you? You know, I mean, I know what mine is, you know what yours is, we know we're in a battle. And it can rear its ugly head at any time, and I know what it's capable of. And we need the spirit of Christ. We don't need rules to follow. We don't need rules to follow. We don't need legalism to help us. Legalism won't help you. What we need is a fuller understanding of what it means to live and walk and be filled by the spirit, amen? Because that, that is how we're going to overcome. And that is how we're gonna root flesh stuff out of our lives. I'm so thankful for the compassion of God as I think about my journey and this conflict that I'm in with my flesh. I I would say that the compassion of God um, is, it feels like severe mercy sometimes, disruptive grace, severe mercy, that God loves us so much that he will discipline us as children because he loves us. That the compassion of God and the severe mercy of God will help me see as I'm, as I'm battling my flesh, this is what abundant life is, and this is what abundant life is not. And it helps me see that. It helps me carry the responsibility of flesh choices that I have made when my flesh rears its ugly head and I'm not walking or living by the Spirit. Um, Galatians, we'll get to this passage next week. It's Galatians 6, 7, and Paul says this, do not be deceived God's justice cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, our real life choices have real life consequences, right? I mean, it's just the reality of our life. My choices, your choices, the choices that we make on a day-to-day reality, the choices that we make Uh, in relationship with people, people in our family, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our workplaces, wherever, on the sport soccer field against the other team's parents that are driving me crazy, right? Wherever we are, real life choices carry real life consequences. A man reaps what he sows. This This is what we're trying to teach our kids. What Lindsay and I wanna teach our kids Real life choices carry real life consequences. And sometimes our discipline of our kids feels really heavy and weighty for them because we want them to understand and carry the consequences of choices that they've made in their life so that they can understand and learn and grow. We love our kids enough for them to learn this lesson. Here's here's what I think could be 
maybe the worst thing, maybe the most tragic thing when we think about our relationship with God. Maybe the worst thing that could happen in our lives is God will give you whatever you want whenever you want it. I think that could be the worst thing, maybe the most tragic things that could happen in our life if the, if the holiness and the sovereignty of God just goes, I'm gonna give you whatever you want. And if you want, if you want a chapter in the Bible to like read about and study about that reality, it's Romans chapter one where God gives people over to worship the created things instead of the creator. See, God is sovereign and God is in control, but God is compassionate and he has built in severe mercies and he, he is inviting us by his grace to be transformed but we participate with God in our own sanctification, in our own journey, in our own spiritual growth, in our own being conformed and, and, and moved and grown and to be like Christ, to, to, to be holy in our lives. Here's what I said before, and I know this is true. I know, I know that legalism won't help me in my battle against my flesh. How do I know that? Because it's my story. I've lived it for many, many, many years. Legalism, hear this, blows wind. Legalistic mentality, living in a legalistic, legal, checking boxes, rules. The more good rules I do, the more God loves me, accepts me, the more bad things I do, the more he moves away from me. That way of thinking about life and God actually blows wind in my flesh. And here's how that happened for me. The enemy loves it when I go legalistic around the battle with my flesh because it makes me feel worse. The toxicity of shame and guilt just makes me regress even more in my flesh. And I would say it this way, the enemy loves it when Christians go self-abasement toward themselves or others when sin and our flesh creeps into our lives. I had a counselor once, I was working on my journey, my life, my struggle, my, my junk. And I had a counselor tell me, we're talking specifically about the toxicity of shame and fear and guilt. And the counselor said this to me, when you go to self-abasement, you, your mind is waging war on your soul. That's what happens. Here's what has helped me. Here's what helps me. Here's my encouragement to us today as we battle our flesh, as we consider what it means to walk, live, be filled of the spirit of Christ. Here's what has helped me. And here's what I'm encouraging you to consider. is the foundational truth that I am justified by faith in Jesus by his grace. Renewing my mind that I am the beloved of God, period. You hear me, church? Renewing my mind that I am the beloved of God. Renewing my mind that I am forgiven and set free. 
renewing my mind that I am empowered to overcome and to be more than a conqueror. Renewing my mind that receiving more grace works humility in me that allows me and enables me to go take responsibility for my choices and to clean up my mess and to stop blaming, complaining, and defending. And I'm tasting something of abundant life. So Paul exhorts us in our passage, grace, freedom, so that we hear this, so that we will walk as the victors that we already are, right? So we've, in, in this battle, in this, verse 17, we are in a battle with our flesh. Here's what you have to understand. You are not, you are not fighting a battle that you're trying to win. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a place of victory because you and I, we have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. And I think that's really important for us to understand theologically in this battle. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. And so here's what Paul tells us. In this battle, in this fight, if you, are, if you live by the spirit, you escape the flesh. If you are led by the spirit, you escape the law and flesh and everything that wants to rob us of freedom, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, all these things. Um, let's look at these two lists that Paul gives us. And there is a big part of me that just wants to go, you know what, I read it, I read it out loud. Let's just move along, let's move along to the next place. Um, but I, I wanna engage this with you because Paul wanted the church in Galatians to consider. And so we look at these verses, verses 19 to 21. Here's some examples of what it means, what it looks like to live by the flesh. And then verse 22 to 26, here's what it looks like to have life in the spirit. And he answers a question. This is fleshly life and this is the spirit-filled life. It's the juxtaposing of the two. Verses 19 to 21 what is life in the flesh? One of the commentators I was reading this week uh, said this, and I'll quote, um, listing vices and virtues, like what we see in verses 21 to 26, listing vices and virtues was common among moral teachers in the ancient world. So the original readers, this would have been really contextually normal for them to get this list of vices and virtues for them to to consider. Uh, and Paul, what Paul does here, uh, he does it in many of, of his other letters. It's not just Galatians 5 that he offers these vices and virtues. If you want to write some chapters down, I don't have a, a slide for this, but 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 8, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians 4, Colossians 3, 2 Timothy 6, or 1 Timothy 6, 2 Timothy 3, Titus 3. I mean, in a lot of the Pauline epistles, he is writing, he is communicating things like he's done in Galatians chapter 5. Here's three points I want to make about this list for us. The list that we see, this, this list of like reality of flesh, what happens when people live by the flesh, it is not comprehensive. It is context specific that were issues that were prevalent in Galatia. It is context specific to these churches. And what we see in this list is different than things that Paul says in other lists. Here's what I would invite us to consider today. 
while this list was context specific to Galatia, I don't think we have to try too hard to make this relevant to our world today. I don't think we have to, I don't think we have to do biblical gymnastics to go, oh, that, those things are pretty relevant in the world today. Oh, those things are pretty relevant in my own life. I should consider the warning that Paul is giving in the passage. Uh, second point, um, all of these sins, all of these realities, all these things that Paul lists are examples of what it looks like to indulge in the flesh. I mean, that really is the baseline point. These are, this is what it looks like, all these things, et cetera, et cetera, and the like, as Paul says. And then thirdly, I think what is most important for us to grab onto, depending on what translation you're reading, New American Standard, NIV, ESV, it's this. What he says is this. I think this is the most important point. Paul says, those who do this or those who practice these things or those who live, live, practice, do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul is saying. Live is the key word here. Do you live in the flesh or do you live in the spirit? He is not talking in this context to the Galatian church about individual decisions necessarily. What he is juxtaposing is two different systems of living. Do you live in the flesh? If you are living in the flesh, you have rejected living by the Spirit. So he's talking about two different ways of thinking. We can get in trouble sometimes. We go, oh my gosh, if I've committed one of those sins, I can't inherit the kingdom of God. And then fear creeps in. And then all of a sudden, the power of grace and forgiveness and the authority of the atonement of Christ goes out of the way. And we listen to the enemy in our minds and we start feeling shaky about the assurance of our salvation. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful that we're not looking at this as individual things that root us out of Jesus's hand when he said in John 10 that nothing will snatch them out of my hand. Romans chapter eight, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate those who are in Christ. Y'all with me right now? So it's two different systems. That's really important. Are we living in the flesh, which is rejecting the spirit, or are we living, trusting, being filled of the Spirit. Well, what is life in the Spirit? Verses 22 to 26, we'll close here. Paul describes, here's this, Paul describes the flesh under the term works, plural. Some of you have, have seen this before in this passage. He describes all of those uh, examples of what it looks like to live in the flesh. He describes it as works, plural. Emphasis, our works people's works, plural. But when he describes the work of the Spirit, did you notice that it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit? Look in your translation. It says fruit of the Spirit, singular. And here's the teaching on that. It's simply this. It's important for us to see and understand because fruit, singular, isn't related to human works. Fruit, singular, is because of the divine work of Jesus. The divine work of Jesus, trusting in the work of Jesus, abiding in the vine, singular Jesus, manifests itself in fruit of the Spirit. It's easier for us to say fruits of the Spirit because there's nine of them listed there, right? 
but it says fruit of the Spirit, emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in us. Um, This is why Paul says in verse 23, against these things, there is no law. There are no works for you to do to go get the fruit of the Spirit. You get the fruit of the Spirit when you live by the Spirit. The divine enablement of God. One of the commentators I read again, quoting a, a commentary on the fruit of the Spirit, said this, the most common approach to this passage is to focus on the individual dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit and to seek to make this list a character-building piece of instruction. Did you guys hear that? I look at those nine things and I go, ooh, I'm not real strong with that. I'm gonna really work on that fruit of the Spirit. Raise your hand if that's how you've seen this before in your life. I'm just kidding. I'll just raise my hand up nice and high, nice and high. I mean, I just go, that's how I have seen this. And when we do this, what do we make it about? We make it about our doing, and that is misguided. That is misguided. So how do these beautiful values and realities of the kingdom of heaven show up in our lives? This is kind of, this is kind of cute, but maybe you'll remember this, okay? A little rhyme, but I think it's, it's, it's memorable. For fruit, there has to be a root. For fruit to show up, just think about botany. Is that the right, bio, is that the right study? Yeah, okay, I'm off the cuff right now. There has to be a root. Fruit of the Spirit makes itself evident when we are rooted in Jesus, when we are rooted in his grace and freedom, when we are rooted in the truth that we are righteous by faith. I can look at those nine beautiful realities of the kingdom of heaven, and it's so easy for me to say, I'm gonna let you in on some of my own battle with my flesh right now. I'm just gonna be humble and honest before us because we're all in a family and I know you love me. And I know you'll pray for me. This is the reality for me. I look at that list and here's what I'm prone to do. I look at that list and I go, I gotta work harder at being more gentle and patient. God's made me passionate. Sometimes the passion goes to intense and intense doesn't create a safe environment for people when I'm intense. And I'm just not the most patient person in the world. I hate traffic, people that cut me off on the road. I got issues, right? I see a lack and I go, I'm gonna focus on the lack. I'm going to get more. I'm gonna get more patient. I'm gonna do it. And I don't think I'm the only one in the room that's probably had those thoughts before as we look at the list of those nine. Beautiful, wonderful realities of the kingdom of heaven. But here, here's what I'm saying. Patience and gentleness doesn't come into my life by my works and by me trying harder. It is fruit that shows up in my life as I abide in Christ and I live by the Spirit. So here's what I have to become convinced of, and I'm inviting you to consider the same thing. I must convince myself that being rooted and grounded in Jesus being rooted and grounded in freedom in Christ, I am justified by faith in Christ. Being rooted and grounded in Jesus and living by God's spirit is sufficient 
for my transformation and to guide me in living for God and living for other people. We must convince ourselves that the fruit of the Spirit, singular, because it's about the work of Jesus, that the fruit of the Spirit are not realities to be earned. We don't go get those things. But fruit that shows up in our lives when we abide in the vine of Christ. John 15, abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You guys are Bible scholars, right? Abide, for there to be fruit, there has to be root. I would say what Paul is trying to say to us, the essence of Christian living, working out grace and freedom in our lives and our community is living by the spirit. You are freed from the law and you are empowered not to indulge your flesh. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord and you believe that Jesus is the son of God and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you believe in the person and work of Jesus, you have the spirit of Christ in you. You are sealed in the spirit. You have the spirit. You are loved. You are empowered. You, you have the spirit. Now let us be full of the spirit that God has given to us. Let us live by the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us be spirit-filled people, Amen. Here's what Paul deeply believed and proclaimed by the authority of the Holy Spirit. Living in the Spirit was living in a, lo- in a loving way. I think it's 1 Corinthians 13. There are faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. John 13, they, the world, they will know you're my disciples by your Love, living in the spirit, living in a loving way. We talked about this two weeks ago. I am the beloved of God. And as a response to my freedom, I am responding in love for God and love for others. And we taste abundant life when we trust that is God's best way for us. Living in the spirit will not and cannot lead to moral relativism. That is not being filled with the Spirit. Living in the freedom of the Spirit leads me away from worldliness and away from my own selfishness to the joy of an others-centered godliness. That's where the Spirit is leading me. Verse 24 to 26 again. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what I know I need in my life. I need my wife. I need my wife to call me out, not in a legalistic way, but in a God-honoring, respectful way. I don't like it all the time. I need, I need you, I need men, I need men in my life. Iron sharpens iron. We gotta sharpen each other. We gotta walk this out together because we are all in a battle in the flesh. Be filled of the spirit, church. Live by the spirit. 
and let us help each other. Amen? Two are better than one, for if one falls, the other is there to lift him up. The cord of three strands is not easily broken. You, me, and the Holy Spirit of God leading us in the way of godliness. It is God's best for us. And it is what Jesus said. This is what I came to give my people, abundant life. Do we trust? Do we trust that? Last thing, worship team, you can come up. And we'll close out with some worship. Uh, Do you know, want to know who the most spirit-filled people I know are? Like when you think about like, oh, that person is so spirit-filled, right? Here are the most spirit-filled people I know. The humble servants. Those are the most spirit-filled people I know. The humble servants. Servants. I think sometimes that we think being spirit-filled, those are the people who have the most charisma or the most passion, right? Or they're the most extroverted people around. Like those people, those are the most spirit-filled people. And I love charisma and I love passion. And I'm an extroverted extrovert. Somebody told me once I'm an extroverted on crack, right? Like I, God has wired me with charisma and passion and I, I receive that and I have dignity in that. And, and, and I accept that that's part of how God has wired me. Do you know who's directly opposite for me? It's my dad. And he, this would... He's so different from me. But if there is someone in his church family or in his community that has any need, do you know who's showing up? My dad. He's one of the most spirit-filled people I know. Is he battling his flesh? Oh, you better believe he's battling his flesh. Just like me. But he's one of the most spiritual people I know because he is a humble servant. He doesn't need the limelight. He's not clamoring for the limelight. He sees a need. He meets a need. He loves Jesus. He serves people. He's gonna kill me for talking about him out loud. The most spiritual people I know are the ones who are humble and loving not indulging the flesh, but seeking to serve, love, and honor God and others. This is abundant life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word of God that is living and active. Lord, let it fall fresh on us. Lord, sometimes your word, it's so living and active, it cuts us, but not in a way to wound us, but in a way to heal us and to help us crucify our flesh and the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy so that we can walk walk more fully and be transformed in the way of Jesus. Lord, help us be filled of the Spirit so that we are humble servants and so that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would grow and grow and grow in each one of us and that as the fruit of the Spirit grows, that we would be a generous people, a blessed people, and that we would go bless people with the fruit that you have brought into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.